Welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mialis, and in this second season, we're looking at the book of Acts. Turns out I love this book so much that I'm not moving very quickly, but that's okay. We're reflecting on what it means to be community, for the book of Acts shows this group of disciples as they're sort of grieving and in shock of all that's happened with Jesus, uh, that somehow they're able to be drawn together by the Spirit and create this community that has endured in times and places for 2,000 years. So what, what's the nature of this community? Today we're going to reflect a bit on the last thing Jesus did before he assumed his place in eternal glory. The, the thing that uh, it wasn't enough for him to die and to rise. There was one more thing he had to do and, and how that has shaped um, what kind of community the church has been in both its local and sort of cosmic expression over the last 2,000 years. So without further ado, let us get to the book of Acts and continue to discover the joy of community. Luke then tells us, to these same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. Okay, this is why we uh, have the church holiday of Ascension, or in German, Himmelfart, uh, 40 days afterward, right? Luke is very specific about this. Uh, And 40, right, being this great biblical number, 40 days in the wilderness, uh, 40 years. for Jesus and his temptation, 40 years for the people as they're wandering in the wilderness. Um, But what I want to draw attention to is that Jesus spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. One of the most challenging things for us is that because we live in such a hyper-individualized society, we easily succumb to the temptation to think that life is about building our own kingdom. And, and here we're reminded that the resurrected Jesus did not meet the disciples so that each one of them could, quote, have their best life now. He did not meet them so that they could finally discover their unlimited potential to build their own kingdom. But Jesus is drawing them in, even after the resurrection, into the kingdom of God. This is actually what Jesus has come to bring about, the kingdom in its fullness. And I suppose one of the challenging things for us is, have you ever, in your life, got that mixed up? Where you have worried far more about building your own kingdom than about building the kingdom of God. I think the obvious answer is, of course, but it's worth reflecting on, what were those times when I got so caught up building my own kingdom that I missed the true kingdom? And perhaps even... What led me to that deception? Jesus continues, uh, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my Father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had gathered together, and in fact the word here in Greek is even they were sort of going together, they began to ask him, Lord, Is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom 
to Israel. Which is really fascinating because Jesus, you know, Luke tells us, is telling them about the kingdom of God. And they're here like, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Which, well, this is such low-hanging fruit, I can't avoid it. It's sort of like, when are you going to make Israel great again? And it, it just shows that even the people that had seen the crucified and risen Jesus were still concerned with rather provincial goals. That they still had this sense, uh, because Jesus was a Jewish person, and he had clearly, uh, Jesus understood himself as the Jewish Messiah, that they thought, okay, well, now you're going to sort of, you know, make Israel great again. And, you know, again, Jesus isn't about uh, one particular nation's restoration. He's not about one particular church's or denomination's restoration. But he says, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the farthest parts of the earth. Wow, this sentence right here um, is so rich, so rich. The first thing that I, I want to draw our attention to is that you will be my witness. And the word uh, witness, wow. To be somebody's witness means that you go to court, right? And that somebody says, you know, what happened? And you say, well, this is what I saw. Jesus does not say that we are responsible for convicting other people of the truth of the gospel. Rather, he says, we are to be witnesses. And this means that we are to point, and I would argue both in word and in deed, to what Jesus Christ has done. What if that really is one of the, the fundamental purposes of our life? Is to point to who Jesus Christ is. To become a signpost, dare we say, a sacrament to other people. A sign that there is a God and this is who God is. The one who is crucified and is risen. you will be my witnesses. Now, it turns out that the word witness here, the word in Greek is martyria. And this word uh, comes into English as martyr. And originally, it was a, a word that had no uh, connotations of suffering. But the early Christians who gave their witness, as we'll read about in the book of Acts and as history shows us, were tortured, imprisoned, and so many killed, that the, the word to be a martyr, eventually Christians changed the meaning of the word. And uh, to give one's martyria meant that one was suffering for one's confession of the truth. Uh, and there's such, um, and we can talk about this more but in, in later podcasts, but it is so powerful that 
these early Christians were willing to die for simply the confession, for the witnessing to Jesus Christ. And people will say, well, you know, this was some hallucination, some psychological state. But the people were, were willing to say, like, look, I'm going to behead you or you no longer confess that Jesus is Lord. And these early apostles who had seen the resurrected Christ said, well, you can cut off my head then. Because I'm not going to deny that Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Lord. It brings up then uh, the question, uh, a couple questions related to this. When you hear the word witness, what do you hear? Who has witnessed effectively to you? And I'm sure we all have stories of people who haven't witnessed effectively to us. And you can think about those. But I'm more concerned right now with, with not what hasn't worked, but what actually has been a witness to you. My suspicion is that that witness is actually related to suffering. And that it's been the, the faith of somebody who during a time of trial and crisis, somehow clung to the idea, the conviction that God was a God of mercy and, and found a way in spite of obstacles against them, in spite of people's meanness to them, to sh still show forth uh, generosity and kindness. And that that has been the witness for you about the truth of the gospel. I would also ask you, when it comes to witnessing, to whom are you called to witness? I think this is a question that for people that uh, grew up in very Christian areas sounds strange because so often we, we conceive of witnessing in terms of, you know, people in other countries who don't believe in Jesus. But really, I think for, for most of us, we're in a context, even in, in my sort of south-central Pennsylvania, former Bible Belt kind of area, where many of our neighbors, many of our peers, especially if you're younger, or heck, if you're older, your, your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, um, don't necessarily believe. So I'm curious, who in your life, in your family, in your workplace, are you called to witness to? Another question is... Um, if, if witness produces suffering, uh, produces challenge, produces persecution, when in your life have you ever experienced, ever experienced some sort of challenge or opposition because of your faith? And I would like to suggest that in the long run, if our faith has never cost us anything, and I wonder if we're really listening to the call of God to be witnesses. Okay. Two other things as we sort of wrap up here. The one is that Jesus, though, doesn't call us to be witnesses alone. In, in Greek here, it's a you plural. In English, this is one of the translation problems of the whole of the New Testament. Almost every time you read the word you in the New Testament, it is almost always you plural. So it's, you all will be my witnesses, right? And this is going to go towards a community. And so as a community, as a 
church, we're called to be witnesses. Painful comment here. Painful confession about how I am deeply concerned now that the church is not witnessing to the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, is a counterproductive witness. But what I want to then uh, get at, and this is really why I'm, I'm thinking about uh, this, this uh, book of Acts for us right now, is that at the end it says, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, sorry, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And, okay, Jerusalem is the area close by. Jerusalem are sort of your territory where, where you know people. And that's the, and actually, um, Judea. Most of these people are from Judea, so the, you know these these are the people that speak the same language, the same culture group. Then you have Samaria, which is the other side of the tracks, the the sort of the the ancient rivals, where you know you know them and you don't like them, you don't like their food, you don't like their religion, you don't like the way they dress, whatever. The other side of the tracks. And then there's the ends of the earth, people that are totally different. And what's so powerful about the early Christian community is that they're going to find a way, and we're going to discover this, of how they can be community together, yet somehow be open to people who are from the other side of the tracks, and, and be open to and even connect and become part of the really what we might call the first corporation, the first body, transnational body, the early church, with people far away. How did they do this? Well, it, it wasn't with, with might and it wasn't um, with money. It was really with the, the witness, uh, the witness to who Jesus Christ was that in fact uh, there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is grace, there is resurrection, there is a way of living that somehow is, is different. So perhaps a question for you then to again go back to witnessing. Whom do you feel the most comfortable talking about Jesus to? Somebody just like you? Somebody who's different but lives in your community? Or somebody who's really far away. Or maybe this is just totally uncomfortable for you. And that's okay too. What I'd like again to suggest though is that the the community that the New Testament forms from the beginning isn't going to be about a particular ethnic or cultural identity. It's going to be about the confession of Jesus Christ, of his teachings his death, and his resurrection. And then that's going to be the foundation for them on which they can build a community. After Jesus tells them that they will be his witnesses, Luke succinctly says, with this, Jesus was taken up from them. This is the ascension. What I want to draw our attention to then is that the sending of the disciples is the last thing that the earthly Jesus does. And this is actually true, too, in the Gospel of of Matthew, and you could even argue, too, in the Gospel of John. It turns out that it wasn't actually enough for Jesus to die and to rise. Somehow, this message had to be passed on. 
again, it wasn't enough just for Jesus to die and to rise, as it turns out. And again, that sounds so heretical, but you and I and the other humans in this world needed to hear that news that our hearts might be transformed, that we might believe and that Christ might take root in us. Sometimes we will feel intimately connected to our own congregation. And this is important that we do this. But as I said earlier, the early church was the first corporation, transnational sort of entity. But it's not just transnational. It's, it's over time. And there's this beautiful way in which we believe not only because of God's work just in our life, but in the God's work through so many other people in so many times and places over the century to hand on the good news. One of the most beautiful uh, displays of, of what it means when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, and that the church over the centuries has been this witnessing community is found in this cathedral in Los Angeles, the, the main one. And in the back, they have a tapestry of Jesus and his baptism. And then all along the side, they have these huge tapestries, and there's lots of people in them. And some of them have um, stitched above them the name of a saint, Augustine, Teresa, Xavier, Joseph. But they're all uh, facing forward, both those labeled as saints and just the other people. And they're clearly from different nationalities and different times. And they're all facing forward, and in the Catholic Church in the front then would be the, the altar where Roman Catholics would believe that Christ's presence is revealed in the Mass. In other words, they're all facing Jesus. And it's this beautiful thing uh, that there's people from all over, uh, all over the centuries. And so I'm curious again, when have you felt like you're a part, not just of your congregation, but but of this vast chain of witnesses uh, across the centuries, across time, who are all uh, hoping, daring to hope, and giving their witness, even in the midst of suffering, that Christ is Lord even over death. It turns out that you and I have a place in that tapestry. And when uh, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses here, both whenever the resurrected Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Luke and then in Acts, it, it turns out that it's that you there is, is really meant to be heard again, and this goes back to last podcast, not just for the original apostles, but for us. That we too are invited in this time and in this place to bear witness. And we're not living in a colonial era where we have to uh, you know, convince other people. Rather, we're simply bearing witness. And that witness isn't to our strength and our power, but rather to God's abiding faithfulness. Last uh, night at the first pod, pub version of this season, uh, one of the people really opened up about how at their low point in their life, God's grace was sufficient for them. And it was a, a beautiful witness, not of that person's uh, awesome strength or faith, but the power of God to be at work in our lives, even in the midst of challenges and adversity. My hope is not that challenge or adversity would come your way. I think as it turns out, all of us in the last year and a half uh, with the whole pandemic and everything have faced plenty of adversity. 
My hope is that uh, in this time and in really in all times in our lives, that we can draw strength from those who have witnessed to us and then bear witness to Christ uh, for our neighbor, for our fellow believers, for those who have not heard, and for the next generation. So let us conclude then with a prayer. Holy God, we rejoice in this train over the centuries of witnesses to your power and your love, who in times of great famine, persecution, pandemic, disease, heartache, have borne witness to your faithfulness. And may we too take our place in the great train of witnesses in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that is always bearing witness to your power, your glory, and your resurrection. Amen.